through and it's time to turn our attention now to Formula One because Max Verstappen, he has his first win of the season after another win in Saudi Arabia. And here to break it all down for us is FIA accredited journalist and host of the F1 Strategy Report, Michael Laminato. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Hello, mate. Good to be back. Uh, always a pleasure, Michael. Uh, love chatting F1 with you today. Uh, is no different. And, uh, well, Max Verstappen, he gets his first win of the season in Saudi Arabia. A very exciting race in the end. Uh, Charles Leclerc uh, right there with him all the way through until the end, but uh, Max too good. Yeah, but very promising. As you said there, this was a battle right to the end. And on another track, and yes, we are still only at round two, so we still only had two circuits. But still, at both of these circuits, these two cars, Ferrari and Red Bull Racing, have been very, very closely matched. There was pretty much nothing in it between these two guys. In fact, when they crossed the line, it was only half a second. And had there been another lap, you would have put your money on Leclerc getting that lead back. And Mm. another one after that, probably Verstappen again. It was that close. And it's incredible to think that really, with these cars being so new, they're two very different cars as well. Even visually, you can see that the way they work are very different. They had exactly the same strategy because of a safety car putting all of, all of the cars virtually onto the same strategy. Same number of laps, obviously. Very close the whole race. To end up that close at the end of it is really promising. And a lot is going to change over the course of the season because there'll be a lot of development. But where we are standing right now, there's nothing to split these two very talented young guys. One of them a world champion. One of them sure to become one. And it means that we're shaping up, even without Lewis Hamilton, who I'm sure we'll get to, for a very good season. And it's funny that uh, to watch now the, the chess match that is played out because we saw earlier in the race at about lap, I think it was 42, something like that, where Max uh, did overtake Leclerc, but Leclerc went straight back past him down the straight. So Max had to sort of learn from that uh, and overtake down the straight at about lap 46 or 47. So what do you think of the battle now that we're seeing uh, with the DRS and, and everything involved with the new, new cars? He had to bide his time, didn't he, Max? And he learned as well from Bahrain as well because back in Sakir last week, sort of tried the same thing, save overtaking manoeuvre three times. Obviously, it didn't work because Leclerc knew exactly how to defend against it. This time, he was a little bit cleverer. He had three different approaches and one of them eventually worked. And you touched on it there. This fight was really over the DRS zone, which gave Max a, a lot more straight-line speed, or whoever was behind, I should say, a lot more straight-line speed, and that, that facilitated the overtake. The DRS was very powerful at this track. I think we'll find that as the season goes on, these DRS zones we've become so used to will be toned down a little bit. They will never be removed, or not in the foreseeable future anyway, but they'll be shortened a little bit. Maybe we'll remove one or two because these new cars, as you mentioned, have really made following much easier on the basis, again, of only two races, but both races it seems to be that the evidence is that you can follow for longer without any problem with your car. It depends a little bit on the tyre, of course, a little bit on the track, but... As we saw in this race, there was no let-up from Max. He continued to, to harass Leclerc lap after lap, which is something that just wouldn't have been possible with the old cars. You'd normally have to have a cool-down lap for the tyres, bring everything back under temperature, and then have another go. That combined means that we should just have more of this, hopefully, when the cars are you know are close in performance as these ones were, these extended stints of battling rather than we have, as we saw last year, which was great between Hamilton and Verstappen, but you'd usually get the meeting on track briefly when they had different strategies. And then the question was whether or not they had enough laps to get it done. This year, it seems like we'll have these longer battles, which will be really exciting for Formula 1, something we don't see that often. Hey, Michael, is the track in Jeddah too dangerous? 
I think it, way, it, it might be, in fact, yes. I think when Formula One drivers, who are absolutely the last people to put their hand up and say that there's any problem or that they're worried or that there's any risk, it's the nature of the job, they have to accept it. When they're saying that there are problems with it, I think we have to accept that there are problems with it. Some of them they figured out last year. We were here only a couple of months ago, in November, I think it was. And that means the track only had a couple of months to, to fix some things. They did move some walls to try and make it a little bit wider and improve the visibility. But there's only so much more they can do, given it is a street track. It's sort of built into the local environment. They will do a little bit more before their next race next year. But it is, and I think Max Verstappen summed it up really well, this is a track that was sort of built to, to take headlines. Right? It's the fastest street circuit in the world, or in Formula 1 anyway, and it has the most corners. It's got something like 27. But a lot of those corners are not corners at all. In a modern Formula 1 car, they're flat out very, very easily. They don't even register them as corners. In fact, there are only seven real braking zones in this track. But they're they're still built on curves with walls around them, which means you can't actually see around any of them. You're approaching 300 kilometres per hour at the top speed of a Formula 1 car, and you can't really see more than a couple of hundred metres in front of you. It is dangerous if there's an accident ahead of you, and we've seen that in uh, support series, for example, this weekend and even in Formula 1 last weekend. Thankfully, with the exception, of course, of Mick Schumacher's crash in qualifying, the race itself, when it would have been more dangerous, didn't see any too many major accidents. But it's clear that this is sort of pushing it, I think we can say, in terms of it being a little bit too dangerous. The lack of runoff, too, is something that they're really struggling with here. So I'll be interested to see how they address this, but there's clearly momentum to address it. Hey, uh, Mike, we saw Red Bull Ferrari uh, go head-to-head yet again. Mercedes a little bit off the pace still at this stage in the season. But, well, for Lewis Hamilton... He found himself in unfamiliar territory, finishing in P10. He didn't even know if it was, a, it was worth a point or not. <laughs> yeah, really lost touch with the common man, hasn't he, Lewis Hamilton? <laughs> 10th is worth one point. How much is, a, days. I've got actually, how much is a carton of milk? Yeah, exactly, yes. I bet he doesn't know how much petrol costs either. I've got to cast my mind back to when he started in Formula 1. I guess we still may have been counting points down to 8th, but still, <laughs> probably should have known. <laughs> It has been a decade, though, you know. It's been 2012 was the last time he finished in 10th, all the way back down there. And he had one other lower finish, but it was sort of, uh, there was a problem in the race, so we're sort of saying that doesn't count. But it has been a very long time since he's finished that low down the order, and it sort of tells you just in what an unusual place that Mercedes car is. His teammate George Russell did much better. He finished where the, the car belonged in fifth place. Lewis Hamilton, though, and the team that Lewis Hamilton was the one who was doing most of the work or, or got the short end of the stick, I guess, was doing a lot more experimentation just to see if they can unlock anything from this car. But unfortunately, by the time they got to qualifying, the experiment clearly wasn't working, qualified way down in 16th, the lowest he's qualified in a similarly long amount of time. Just a very unfamiliar place for Lewis Hamilton to be this weekend. He seemed pretty glum after the race. It'll be better when we get to Albert Park because the car is better than that. But clearly, Mercedes still a little bit away from figuring out how to get the best out of this car. Mm. Hey, uh, Michael, we had to see uh, a fair few cars retire from the race. We saw Bottas uh, go out. We saw Fernando Alonso. We saw Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately, retiring from the race in the McLaren. Uh, so what has been the fallout and, and uh, from some of those retirements there over the weekend? All on the same lap, more or less, weirdly as well, those three, Alonso, Ricardo, and Bottas. And reliability is starting to play a really major role. Well, starting. We're only at the start of the season. But he's playing a much more significant role, certainly than I expected, because all these power units that are having problems. 
are all the same. They're, they're the same as last year. The rules haven't changed on them, and they're frozen from here till 2025 as well. Although if there are any crucial reliability problems, they'll be allowed to fix them. And you only get more or less four parts of each little bit of the engine. Some of them are a little bit different, but let's just call it four parts for the whole year. For some teams to have already burned through one or, in some cases, two of them, that's obviously going to incur penalties sooner rather than later. So that's going to start to have an effect. Luckily, our title contenders so far haven't had any, but Sergio Perez had some after he's stayed in Bahrain. We don't know yet whether Daniel Ricciardo's engine problem is terminal for that engine. Sometimes they do shut themselves off when it's going to be terminal, but to save itself, and that, that may well be what it, tends out to, it turns out to be. We've seen poor old Yuki Tsunoda, for example, in AlphaTauri. That's the same engine that Max Verstappen uses. Had a failure on every day of the weekend. One on Friday, one on Saturday. Didn't even take part in the race on Sunday. That's really surprising and really disappointing, of course, for those teams. So it'll be interesting to see if they can fix these. Certainly once they get back to Europe and they have a bit of breathing time after this frenetic start to the season, if they can diagnose all these issues. But already we can tell that this is going to be a potentially decisive factor in some of the finishing positions for these teams. Two races down, a third to come. Where are we heading next, Michael? Oh, I can't wait. It's coming home. Formula One's coming home. Just doesn't live here, but it hasn't been here for many years. But let's say it's coming home to Albert Park. Finally, Formula One will be back in Melbourne, in Australia. And it's an all-new track. Well, it's mostly a new track, I should say. It's been largely reprofiled. A lot of the back part of the circuit is now essentially one long straight. It's a much faster track as a result. Some of the slower corners have been sped up because they've been widened, so it's a bit more of a medium-speed track, too. And that means that the challenge will be different. This will be fundamentally a different Albert Park to the one that Formula One left in 2019 and, well, tried to race on in 2020, which, of course, didn't, and unpleasantness ensued. It will be really interesting, especially coupled with these new cars, for which uh, following and overtaking should be a little bit easier. It's always been difficult at Albert Park. The changes to the track should help. The new cars should help. Hopefully, we'll see a slightly more competitive McLaren, of course, for home fans. And look, I think Daniel Ricciardo should at least be in a position to score points because that's where he was this weekend. And this track should be okay for McLaren in terms of being a point scorer. That's, I think, the maximum. It should be a great weekend, and I cannot wait to see them back here. What are you going to be up to over that weekend? I'll be there. You know, I'll be right there in the thick of it. Uh, we've got all sorts of things coming up. There'll be, uh, I'll be part of a, a live podcast for the Australian Grand Prix on each and every day. There'll be details of that on the Grand Prix website and all sorts of stuff. It's going to be really great to have it back in, in our backyard. Yep, can't wait and uh, be sure to uh, keep up to date with all the latest F1 news and results. Uh, go uh, follow Michael Laminato and uh, have a listen into the F1 strategy report. Everything that Michael does it is gold. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for your time. Can't wait to chat again. Thanks, mate. Anytime.